Hello and welcome to Human Quest episode 217. I am your host, Mike Apps, aka Wheels, eternally cursed by technology. And with me as always... This is how we do it, David McCrary, Family Master. This is how we do it. This is how we do it. And welcome to... To an episode truly, truly... Uh, being wrecked by technology. You could still get more wrecked than you know it. Oh, that's true. It's true. If you're wrecked and you know it, clap your hands. You're wrecked and you know it. I sit here trying to rearrange things because I had to drop resolution to get. If you're wrecked and you know it, then your tongue will surely show it. Assuming it's not currently also dying a horrible death. But anyway, uh, what have you been playing while I try and fix this? Uh, quite a lot of, uh, how to describe this video game. Uh, quite a lot of Megaman Battle Network. You know, the super oh, fighting robot. Nice. Oh, I am being raided by Zincarius, the party of 11, just in time. Just oh, in, no. Just in time for... Horrible technology malfunctions. Welcome. No, no, they missed the worst of them. That's true. That's true. I, I think it's actually working now. I'll take your word. But yeah, uh, episode 217. Yes. Yes, I thank you for following Not Simple Lord. I've been spending actually most of your uh, misery time... Uh, Filling out a grocery order, so... Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. See? Alright. No need to rush. Alright, thank you. Have it delivered to me, or I can have it... Sh have it shipped to someplace nine miles from me. Nice. Decisions, decisions. Yes. But yes, uh, welcome to my channel. We record a weekly podcast here, and... Um, play lots of RPGs and random other nonsense. That's my favorite part. Um, order. Chat yes. pause due to scroll, so I've probably missed so many chats. Yes, I have. Dear Lord, this is going so well. This is I'm going so, great. I'm so sorry, Sen. <laughs> and everyone else. Okay, let's just let's just go. Okay. Okay. Listen, yes. just, just podcast through the pain. Uh, look, Zen was even explaining to me how I could fix my problems. GG. <laughs> oh, well. Um, uh, Zinkaria said I should fill that space beside my cam with cute anime girls dancing. I mean... No. Uh, uh, here, you can just have some of this right here. Oh, God, that's horribly out of place now, too. My gifts. My gifts. Do I dare check what no, this don't says? Look at it. Don't do okay. it. Don't do it. Okay, then I won't. <laughs> okay, my Amazon fresh order will be here tomorrow. Oh, nice. that'll be nice. Sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do. Uh, so yeah, um, I've been playing Mega Man Battle Network. Nice. Because I ran out of Mega Man X games. <laughs> Which means I did finish Mega Man X Command Mission. Well, that's happened last week. Uh, that is uh, mostly wasted potential of a game, but I mean, it's not a horrible game. It's just, it has the potential to be a much better game. Yeah. 
And it uh, it misses basically all of it, so <laughs> it's mostly just kind of fine. <laughs> I still really like the concept of Battle Network. Like, what if instead oh, yeah. of robots, we went full internet and then Dr. Wiley... Like the... Is, okay. is there a Dr. Wiley in it? Uh, he's going with Lord Wiley for some reason, but yes. Okay. And Dr. Light's name is rendered not as Dr. Light. He has a Japanese name that just means light. He's Dr. Oh, Hikari. Nice. But, yeah, the thing that's wild to me about playing Mega Man Battle Network now, which is very, which is actually quite good, uh, it's a little, it's the encounter rate's a little higher than I would like, but, I mean, like, as GBA games go, this was one of the better options you had. The thing that's wild to me while playing it is that it's an accidental... Uh, its story is accidentally about how bad an idea Internet of Things is. Well, that's pretty cool. Like they don't, they don't realize that's what they're saying. In part because, like, the attitude that they typically have is not "this was a bad idea to start with," but rather, "if only people would stop ruining it." Mm. But like the the first thing that happens is that your internet connected oven gets a virus that causes it to like set itself on fire, <laughs> and like the first dungeon is fixing the fact that your oven is on fire. Huh. And then it just sort of, like, escalates from there. Like, every lock in your school gets locked because they're all electronic and all connected to the internet for some reason. I like this idea even more. Can they fix the keyboard I just had to unplug because it stopped working? <laughs> the internet of wheels. Also, no. Have I mentioned well, that I'm cursed? Yeah, a little bit. Um, but, yeah, like, it's very accidentally just a reminder of, like, how bad an idea giving software control to everything is, that's way less depressing to bring up than something like Therac 25. Hmm. If you don't know what Therac 25 is, listeners, uh, it's depressing. It sounds depressing. Oh, you don't you don't remember what this is? No, I don't. Therac 25 was a, like, radiation treatment machine. Like, it was for... Ooh. administering radiation therapy from the early 80s that was uh, that had essentially all of its hardware checks replaced by software check. Ooh. And it, it killed, like, it's, there are, like, seven documented people that were killed because, like, basically the uh, bug that... The error code that told you that you're about to administer way too much radiation was not clear enough. And oh. there was no longer a hardware check to stop you from doing it. Lovely. Yeah, real bad. But like that's that's one of those like classical things that just tells you like, hey, actually, uh, gi giving over all of your checks to software is a bad idea. Hmm. But uh, you know, the it's it's more fun when you're playing Mega Man Battle Network and. Uh, you're having to stop a bus from exploding because a virus was put in it that can somehow make the bus explode. I don't know why that's a capability that any part of the software would have, but...
you know. That sounds real bad. Oh, by That's the way. a very strange uh, escalation that the game goes through because it like starts at your home, your oven at your house is on fire, <laughs> and then like it gets to a point where like domestic terrorism and vehicular homicide are happening, and like the game is still in jokey joke mode. So like. The, the way that they go about this is that, like, the villainous organization, 3W, puts, uh, is like, hey, we screwed up the traffic lights that your cars, your self-driving cars rely on to be able to tell where they're going. We screwed them all up, and you just see a bunch of cars crash into each other and explode, presumably killing a number of people. Uh, but then they're like, yeah, pay us a bunch of money and we'll give you... A fix that will make it so that your car will function properly. Hmm. And then your next objective is not to immediately try to fix the constant car explosions that are happening in front of you. It's to go convince people to not give these people money. <laughs> and the first person I talked to said, oh, right, I don't own a car. <laughs> and that was how I successfully persuaded them not to give this organization an uh, ungodly sum of money. Nice. Shall we begin? Oh, yeah, that's a weird thing that happens. I want to play Mega Man Battle Network now. <laughs> it's a very strange game, but it's pretty good. Uh, oh, by the way, I think I may have missed uh, Thank You Jack Punisher. Jack's Punisher for following. Nice. I think I missed that one. I don't know, I have terrible As memory. Wheels erstwhile partner in crime, I also think. He's dead. Uh, so, but yeah, so that's what I've mostly been playing. Nice. Uh, I've been playing more Disgaea 6, which continues to be excellent. Good, good. Um, and the stage design is starting to be pretty good. I got to a battle recently that involved two sets of colored squares on the battlefield one was like restore some amount of health at the end of every turn and the other mm -hmm. which i didn't really think about what it meant uh when i read yeah. it was ally damage 50 percent oh so i saw that and was like oh okay so i need to get my allies on here and they'll do 50 percent more damage no no. It just damage any allies? It means any allies on there lose 50% of that, their health. And no, that doesn't mean whatever health they have now they get. No, it's just their maximum. Right. So, needless to say, my first attempt at that level did not go well. Rip. Uh, but after that, I, I think the second attempt didn't go well either. But, yeah. Uh, it was nice to see, and it's, it just con continues to be a fun and interesting story, too. It um, does the conceit where it kind of works backwards, like he's talking with, I don't know, a judge or some sort of other character about past events trying to kill this seemingly undefeatable um, god of destruction. Uh, so, like, between chapters, you go briefly back to like those scenes and then you know the story kind of continues from there and it's been pretty funny and the characters are funny it's it's um uh really what i have been expecting from the series and was really after the uh 
debacle that was five. I was not really expecting, so it's good to see. Uh, and you, you've just gone all in from like, I don't like this to debacle. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I am comically a bit too hard on the game because it, it, it was, I mean, it wasn't really terrible. It was just, you know, I gave it a 2.5 out of five. Yeah. You it, found it deeply disappointing. Yeah, I could probably be convinced that maybe it was a three out of five, depending on, you know, how you play through it. Um, but needless to say, uh, it was disappointing. Deeply disappointing. So, uh, yeah, the fact that I'm actually, like, enjoying the series and also thinking about going, oh, you know, I want to go back and play three again or play some more four or, you know, maybe finally finish some version of one and two. <laughs> Um, You'll never do that. Or even stream some of D2, which I think is an underrated game in the series, although it has its stories. Immediately forgotten one. Yeah. Which is a shame, because the gameplay is actually fine. It's just the story that was a major miss. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Let's see. Also, I have started playing the Monster Hunter Stories 2 demo to try and get through that before the game releases on Friday. Um, How's that go? Quite good. It's a nice um, expansion of the original game. Like, you get two characters in your party now, and obviously the other character also has a, a monster, so it adds a good layer of depth to the combat, which is still more relatively on the simplish side on the surface, but as you go through, it gets a bit more complicated. Uh, maybe, mm-hmm. probably never necessarily at the levels of like, you know, trying to watch the competitive Pokemon players do battles, but um, you know, we'll see. It seems, it definitely seems really good, and it looks extremely good. Uh, so. Um, really looking forward to digging more into that, and I've also played a bit of East Nine on Switch, which seems like a solid port. Um, looks like maybe there's some slowdowns in some of the bigger open areas, but I've been uh, impressed by what I've seen. It seems fine, and I'm sure after some patches, it'll improve as well. So, uh, RPGs on the Switch are looking good. <laughs> Um, Hooray! Hooray! Although there's no Switch Pro, sorry, folks. Well, there's a there's a new model. Yeah, I was surprised that I was not really disappointed at all. It's just like, oh, okay, I don't have to buy another one for a while then. I'm guessing probably about a year and a half. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I actually have a. Uh, it's not really a what do we call it? It's not really a second model switch because it's just that it has a better battery, right? Yeah, there was the second model that was just like it was just the they were it wasn't the battery change. They you made a chipset that did the same things but uh, had a lower power. Okay. But anyway, I have one of those now, and that should last me quite a while. Long, yeah, along with uh, the switch light. 
I'm probably just gonna hang on for the Switch 2, which I would suspect will be launching probably in early 2023. That sounds about right. Which would mean that the vanilla Switch will be six years old at that point. Uh, that was always kind of the issue with like the rumor of this model that's this model refresh that's happening to the is going to be a major power upgrade is because like I, I still you know fully believe that some of the things that people like Bloomberg were reporting about like a major power upgrade is wires getting plus yeah but but yeah like uh the the concept of doing that is that the switch as it currently exists is still extremely po popular selling extremely well and uh extremely you know there, there's no reason to replace it yet and in fact there are reasons to not do so because that will you know piss off a large user base that suddenly has and like you get like if they just made treated it as an update of the original switch with more power it would just mean that like seven games would yeah so like they're gonna wait probably another year and a half around that point uh there will probably be uh, slightly less constraints on manufacturing and chip supplies, which has been a problem. Is there an actual uh, specific reason for that? Is it just COVID-related? Uh, it's a lot of things. That's what I figured. Like, COVID didn't help, certainly, but... Yeah, it's it's also like because it's it's both the things are, you know, that COVID decreased the supply, but it also increased the demand because people were suddenly like, well, I need my, uh, you know, like now that I'm trapped at home, I need X, Y, and Z electronics. I've been putting on buying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's there's other things that are driving it. Uh, you can blame a lot on cryptocurrency miners. Uh, yeah. Uh, may they all be destroyed. Uh, the, uh, uh desperate and stupid attempts by, uh, by a certain prior administration to attempt trade war, uh, did not help. Uh, but yeah, we, we've seen some things that may slowly ease them. The uh, like recovery of a lot, like China in particular, has done a very good job of recovering from COVID in terms of like actual raw number of people. So, uh, that would be something that sticks out to me as important to remember. But I mean, like, Best case scenario, like n it it might be cleared up by next year, but I would suspect probably closer to 2023, yeah. uh, which would be around the time that they would be really gearing up by that point, uh, supposedly. You know, I, I would suspect that by that point, people will also have had dev kits for a potential future switch for quite a while at that point. Nice. And also, like, the initial... Uh, boom in demand for things like the PS5 and the Series X will be down, so it will not be as much of a competition to snap up uh, 
whatever supply lines are available. Mm. Nice. Hey, Dark Seed. Yeah. So yeah, that's my personal bet. Would be early twenty twenty three. Nice. Uh, so Dark Seed, I dropped into his uh, stream last night and started recommending him like all the Falcom games. <laughs> but yeah, this is this is East Nine. It's definitely a red game. Did I say dark dark side? Yes, dark side. Dark. Oh my god, dark side. Dark seed side. Dark dark uh, seed side. No, dark side. Dark side. <sighs> yes, this this night is just going splendidly. So. Uh, all right, where were we? Uh, we were talking about the OLED switch. Yes, which looks like a nice version. If you can, if you want to splash a bit extra cash. Yeah, anyone that's seen the original Vita should know that that kind of screen is quite nice. Yeah, OLED screens have mostly issues with scaling, as I recall. Like getting the manufacturing process of making them larger is actually a huge pain in the ass, which is why only a couple TV manufacturers really got into it. But they're really nice, uh, great color reproduction. Um, so I, I would suspect that if you uh, get a OLED switch, you will be very happy with the, the uh, color reproduction on it, uh, and just generally things will look nice on it. Leave it, to her to uh, it won't, you know, they, it won't be changing your rendering resolution. It will not be. Uh, increasing processor speed or anything like that, but and it might actually run a little longer. Like the battery might run a little longer because OLED screens are a little more power efficient than LCDs. So, yeah, uh, uh, it's it's a nice little upgrade. It's the the fifty dollar price bump is about consummate with what you're getting. Nice. I'll be leaving. Apparently, some of the European prices are much are much wilder price bumps. I have no idea what's going on there, but yeah, like a fifty dollar price bump is for a nicer screen. It's like not a is a pretty normal and fairly reasonable alternative. Yeah, looks real nice. Excited. Should be nice. Also, oh, also the one thing I didn't even notice the first time I was looking at it, it's got a built-in Ethernet port on the dock now. Yeah, that was one of the upgrades they offered. Which is nice and Yeah, which is again an, another thing that like that's why I'm saying like the upgrades that you're getting are consummate with the about extra fifty dollars you would spend. Yeah. That made me totally forget that there's actually a uh a dongle for the existing dock that I yeah. really intended to buy and never got around to. Nice. How much does that run you by itself if you get the official one? There are probably unofficial ones. The official one runs you yeah, a little less than 30 bucks. So you cut that out of the purchase. You can get them as low as like 15-ish, it looks like. Or third-party things that do basically the same things. 
It's not too bad. Yeah. Yeah, if you want uh, people to not curse your name anytime that you're playing a fighting game on Switch, uh, recommend it. And I think I should probably also do that for my computer, since maybe that will clear up some of my endless streaming issues. It's nice to dream, isn't it? It is nice to dream. Nice but to yeah, dream. So all that Switch finally got announced. I can totally see why that was not at E3. It didn't really matter to the E3 audience. It's not who they're selling it to. They are, however, launching it right alongside Metroid Dread, which is an interesting strategy. Oh, hey, Tam. What's up, Tam? But, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that launched, like, the same time as Metroid Dread, and the color scheme is actually most Metroid Dread-ish based on what they've shown, so that's kind of cute. Nice. That stark black and white scheme uh, goes along with the robots in Dread. So that's fun. The ocean, everybody run. Uh, but yeah, that's that, that's kind of the biggest news of the week. I mean, there's no one. Really. Uh, just getting home. To my favorite live cast. Hooray! We're number one. Hooray! No, very specific superlative, but hooray! Um, let's see. Number one live but, podcast. For RP gamer employees named Tam. <laughs> you know what? That's that's an, that's an audience that I appreciate. Right, hold on, I need to go to my Twitch chat and give somebody else mod powers. Oh heavens, Lord, heavens, Lord Jesus! Uh, I just wanted to bring up something. Uh, since we do have to get to questions of entry, there is something that is like called out specifically to you, and I don't think Fire Miner even realized it. Uh oh. Alright, bring it on. Uh, let's see. On the topic of buying the first edition of, the game, of a game, have you guys dealt with the frustration that is the original Fallout 3 and Skyrim on PS3? <laughs> <laughs> I played Fallout 3 on freaking PC, and that was a mess at launch. I mean, it yeah. never stopped being a mess. That's kind of the thing with Bethesda games. That's they become true. less of a mess. They never really stop. Yeah, but uh, Skyrim on PS3, that was that was some shit. Um, I had the game... So, anyone who's played that game, there's like a section at the beginning where you... Um, where you're like in a burning building and you have to like jump out and like there was some kind of sequence break like the first time I played it so I couldn't advance anything beyond that point GG so yeah that was great oh holy shit my sister subscribed thank you uh, how kind well hello Oh, Hello. it's Gaijin. Yes. You missed all the technology disaster. Yeah, that set us back like a good 30 minutes, so. Yeah. 
It's been okay. weird just getting to questions. You missed the weather over here, which made me late by about 30 minutes. Uh-oh. Yeah. It's like it was, it was barely sprinkling when I checked out, and I was getting ready to ride out because I figured, okay, it's not raining hard enough to get me off my bicycle. And so I, I went in to do the checkout, and one of the ladies in the office commented, oh, isn't it getting dark outside? And I'm like, I hope that's the tinting on the windows. It was, it was not the tinting on the window. <laughs> no, it was not. Uh, my bike is still parked at school because it was... I, I can't really say raining. It was something beyond that for about 15 to 20 minutes. So your bike is getting carried away by a monster, we speak. No, my bike is parked safely in a dry spot, so it's not being carried away by the, the flood. <laughs> so, I mean, if the, if the water gets up that, to that point, then the entire... I'm not having school tomorrow. Um, All right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's... Uh, but, yeah, it's projected to keep raining through Saturday. Like from now through Saturday? Yes. Not, oh, oh, fun! It's rain season. Um, and still, it's been rainy season for five weeks now. Yeah. right? I'm just glad you're okay. Fun. You can tell me what Fun, fun, fun. Rock and roll high school. So yeah, what have you been playing, Gaijin? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Grandia too. Hell yeah! Uh, nice, nice. Yes, I'm. I'm about nine hours in. I've just been asked to find a sword. Um, and I've read through four different versions of the same origin myth: the Sunday school version, the layman's version, the official seminary version, and the "this raises some honest questions" version. Uh, so. Yeah, no, it's right. Yeah. You just keep getting these like. Slightly conflicting versions that are slowly unraveling more about what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, in general, the plot's pretty easy to predict. Um, yeah, but, obviously. Yeah, but I mean, but, the, but the different versions of the same myth in two different libraries is very handled quite well for the writing. So. Yeah. No, no, it's it's one of those things. It's like the original drama. It's like I can tell where this is going, but you're doing a good job with it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be honest, um, at the very beginning, I was like, I'm not sure if I've actually read about this game before, or if it's just really that obvious who this character actually is. Um, <laughs> but so that makes and so I'm, my bet's on the latter. So. Well, now I'm curious which character you're talking. Oh, it's quite obvious as soon as you finish the second level. Uh, second dungeon. I mean, oh, are you talking about? Uh, are you just talking about Millennia, or? Yeah, talking about Millennia. Oh yeah, I mean, the, by the third dungeon, of the game is just like just in case for the slow class, they just. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I mean, like from the very from the moment she showed up, it's like, yeah, this is quite obvious. Yeah. It's not really much of a mystery. Yeah. Yeah. They they honestly mine more drama out of the character who doesn't figure it out, which is more interesting. But yeah. 
Mm -hmm. Hmm. But yeah, uh, <laughs> glad that you're playing that. Um, I've always been a big fan. Yep. But it was, I mean, it was the game that was half off on Father's Day, so, yeah. What could be more dead than Grandia 2, except anything but, because it's a very uh, teenager game. <laughs> yep. I oh, know, we've, we've sort of had this conversation a week or two ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a series better known for its moms than its dads. Yeah. <laughs> they are good moms, though. Even if in Grandia 3, I did not realize the mom was actually his mom for like the almost the entire first half of the game. It's very easy to forget, even though like they, they clearly knew it was a problem because she brings it up really early. Or like he he and or she bring it up fairly early, but it's one of those things that it's like it makes so little sense that it's very easy to forget. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Um, so yeah, glad you're playing that. I hope you end up enjoying. Mm -hmm. Let's see. The, the, yeah, we were just the, the chat in my switch stream in my Twitch. Uh, stream is blowing up into madness. That's terrifying. I don't... Well, I'm glad it's not my job to monitor that one. Also, thank you, Darkseid, for the gifted Go sub. Mm -hmm. Oh my um, god, hold on, hold on. I'm being offered money. Oh, cash money, cash money. <laughs> oh my god. Uh... uh... Fireminer had some questions specifically in response to a previous episode. Just going to go through those. Uh, on the topic of the first edition of, the game, of games, have you guys dealt with the frustrations of the original Fallout 3 in Skyrim? That's where you came in, guys. Uh, may I introduce you to Mighty Number no. 9 Bricks, my Wii U? Thank God the one guy I went to junior high with knew another guy fixed my Wii U. Yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> I don't know much about the Wii U version of that other than that it's a mess, but uh, yeah, I uh, think I've heard about that happening once or twice. Uh, let me check this actually, because I'm trying to remember uh, what actually happened. With that. My sister just uh, gifted 10 subs. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. Thank you. Okay. okay. I'm really raking it in this month, Wheels. Yeah. I <laughs> Apparently, all I had to do was wait for madness to blow up in my Twitch chat, and, and... that's that's how Twitch works. Yeah. Uh... Twitch giveth and Twitch taketh. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh... <laughs> Loading time. So yeah, uh, I'm trying by to the work way, out. I have played the Wii U version of um, Mighty Number no. Nine. Mm -hmm. it, it was a laggy mess. It's almost like Unreal Engine Three was never officially supported on the Wii U. <laughs> uh, Hollywood says, "What a sellout streamer!" Yes, here, here, on the Ask Wheels channel, we've gone Hollywood. We always wheels. sell out. Thank you. This I message brought to you by phone. East Nine. Available now for your Nintendo Switch. 
Yeah, people, people going nuts in the chat. Um, <laughs> wait, why was I gifted it? I, I was gifted a tier one subscription. <laughs> yes, you can thank oh, me, no. sister. <laughs> yeah, no, I saw that. Uh, but yes, thank you, thank you, Wheels and sister. Um, let's see. Uh, the uh, secondly, on PC, if the update has compatibility issues, I can just delete some files to restore the backup. Unless you have monitor consoles, it's pretty hard to do. Yeah. yeah, but you're also looking at it's much less likely to happen on consoles. Not to say that it doesn't, but yeah. it's much less likely because the consoles each have their own certification process that is generally more strenuous than whatever Bethesda did to try to get you to stop asking. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, my. Oh, community challenge complete. Nice. Oh, by the way, this stream brought to you by Spacer's Choice. It's not the best choice. It's 100%. Choice. <laughs> Raise 50k. Um, let's see. But, yeah. Uh, in general, like, there's also just, it's, it's much harder for, like, configure it. They're, like, Consoles aren't the combinational, uh, combinational like horror show that a lot of PCs are, and like this has gotten less bad over time. Like yeah. it used to be that uh, you would have, like especially in the '90s, you would have like dozens of graphics cards manufactured to a few different specifications, and it would just be wildly in question whether your card was supported by any given. Game. Um, yeah, I was gonna say, isn't that what consoles have over PCs is consistency of hardware? Yeah, I mean, like the there are generally much fewer ways that new that a hardware revision on the console uh, can have issues. It, it 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 does happen. It's rare, but it does happen, uh, and not even just obvious cases like the DS. By removing GBA slot, causing certain games that relied on that slot to have problems, but even just, like, really weird things where, like, very specific models of a console will have had changes made to them that make certain things incompatible, but, like, th like those are incredibly rare as opposed to uh, what you can sometimes deal with on PCs. Again, much less frequently than you once did, uh, just because there are less competing uh, standards going on. Man, Oh man, I was remembering. Uh, I think this might have actually been Nvidia's first uh, chipset, mm -hmm. the NV1, which is based on the Saturn. Uh, that Saturn. Yes, the Sega Saturn. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and like th this was before Nvidia would make its own cards. Uh, and it was it was based on the Sega Saturn to the point where it came with Saturn controllers and had Saturn joystick port. Uh, and like it had specialized ports of Saturn games to the PC that were more like the Saturn versions because this card used quadrilaterals as the base of how its polygons were drawn. Uh, it's it's an extremely strange one-off graphics card. Uh, they they never did this again. There's like six or so games that specifically support it, 
Daytona, Daytona. Uh, Descent, Destination, Saturn, NASCAR Racing, Panzer Dragoon, Virtual Fighter Remix, Virtual Cop, uh, and a port of Battle Arena Toshinden. It's a weird port of Battle Arena Toshinden that has Earthworm Jim in it for some reason. If anyone remembers either of those things, I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, I'm just letting this all f- wash over me and... It's, Hopefully it's like you won't remember it in the morning. and it just goes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the Nvidia NV1. If you want to go look up, if you want to go look up what the wild west of like 3D graphic graphics accelerators on PC, go look up uh, that. Or Digital Foundry's Retro Bit did a really good video that was just about every version of I think it was Mech Warrior Two. Because that was like customized to like a million different graphics cards, and they all look different because none of those cards have the same capabilities, even approximating each other, and half of them don't even work the same way. So that's fascinating. That's worth uh, looking at if you're bored. Uh, none of them's as weird as the 3DO Blaster, uh, which I don't think anyone ever tried anything quite like it again. But the 3DO Blaster was a 3DO, like the entire 3DO logic board condensed onto a PC expansion. And you would just put it in and then just put in 3DO games and just run 3DO games. Mm-hmm. So that was a choice. I don't think that that had an audience, but they sure made it. Uh... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have words. It's extremely. Uh, yeah. Um, Earth, are you playing now, Wheels? East eight. Ah, uh, you decided that you needed to finish that. Yes, well, that and also the early parts of East nine are a little on the slow side, so. Uh, I think Less I will, streaming, probably. Yeah, so I think I will stream more of that once I get farther in the game. Uh, this next question is basically directed almost entirely... Uh, well, it's not almost entirely. Okay, looking at it from here. Listen uh, to you guys talk about Mega Man made me wonder if children who grew up in the 2010s have any platformer that's really childhood. I mean, as far back as the 2600, children have greatly enjoyed platformers. Pitfall, anyone? Then when the seventh gen came out, it felt like platformers stopped being something for kids. Instead, they're drawing graphic became young adults and older who enjoy extremely hard, extremely atmospheric indies. Children, on the other hand, got sucked into Minecraft and tons of other player games. Unless you count Skylander and Disney as platformers, we don't. They're actually not. They're actually weird, almost Diablo-esque constructions. Uh, the only platformer I still see popular to kids is Mario. It has been years since I saw any kid playing Sonic in the wild. I recently played Rise of the Plank worked apart. I like it, but I'm not sure if my nine-year-old self would have enjoyed it as the older games. Uh, Honestly, I mean, as, like, he the stated de- in, or as he stated in there himself, Minecraft has largely filled this niche in the landscape for that generation. Yeah. I don't know that there's, like, certainly Mario still has purchase. Sonic is still popular among children as far as I can tell, but the weirder thing about Sonic is more just the fact that Sonic is popular regardless of what he's in. So I'm not convinced that it's like some certainly people develop fondness for the platformers because Sega keeps re-releasing them. Like there has never been 
ba basically since the uh, the PS2, Xbox, and GameCube, there has never been a major platform that you could not play Sonic on. Like, in some description. And that's down to things like the end game. You can play Sonic on the end gauge. It's a really bad part of Sonic Advance on a vertically oriented screen, which makes it even more impossible to see. Um, but yeah, like, uh, but in, in general, like, the platformer is no longer the dominant mode of how of the kind of game children play, because the kind of game that children play now tends to be, like, these broad, very freeform uh, sandbox, make-your-own-fun uh, Minecraft Roblox dip. Um, which I'm not really it's, qualified to talk about at length. I am, <laughs> and I don't want to talk about Roblox. Yeah, I'm basically it's just like saying, nightmare like, feel. I'll take your word. The point <laughs> I am making is just that, uh, like, the, the platformer as the kid-friendly genre has kind of died out. I do think that, like, plenty of children still definitely get exposed to Mario because it's one of those things that, like, their parents, whether they play games now or not, remember is like, that's something that's appropriate for my child. Mm. Uh, and like Sonic enjoys the same residual thing. Most of the other platforming mascots have died off or branched into other genres so that like their fate is more questionable. Like, I mean, when you get to something like Ratchet and Clank, that was always trying to be like for the 13 year old and up crowd. Cause it's like, yes, there's, uh, there's to a greater or lesser extent platforming in it, but it's rapidly it rapidly like turns from a platformer to more of a shooter with jumping in it. Uh, but I mean, aspects of the platformer just sort of infected everything else. Because uh, I mean, like there, like I wouldn't do this, but there are definitely people who would argue on part of this in some sense a shooter platformer. Uh, I, I would say the platforming is too simplistic for it to really count very much, but I mean, that's more like a personal, like, I don't feel like platforming is a draw, it's a way to pace out the shooting. Um, but yeah, like, the, the, the genre yet survives with elements of it uh, showing up enough things. But I think the other thing to remember is that, like, children do play indie games. They just don't all play the same indie games. Yeah, there is that. I mean, there's nothing to say that the genre as a whole isn't any less popular. It's just that it hasn't coalesced around a single franchise because there is a glut of franchises. Yeah, like, like the way I would look at it is like children do definitely end up playing indie games because indie games are cheap. And that's one of the primary like barriers to entry for children. <laughs> but uh, I, I do think that, you know, any individual indie platformer's capacity to capture the imagination of children is limited by the fact that it's like, well, there's a million it's like I was getting it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I would not disagree that there's not... There simply just isn't uh, the amount... the critical mass of, like, children playing platformers. Now, so it's, it's less of a thing. Uh, and I mean, just having a singular game to play is very much a product of the earlier generations where, I mean, especially after the uh, big crash, Nintendo kind of cornered a huge market and yeah. Nintendo Mario 
So if you had if you had a an NES or a Super Nintendo, you had Mario for certain. Yeah, and if you didn't, you had a friend who had one. No, I mean, I mean, a lot of times it was bundled, so it was like, oh yeah, yeah. to get it without one of those games. If, well, what I meant was more just even if you didn't have an NES with Mario or a Super Nintendo with Mario, you had a friend who did. Yes. But yeah, uh, like Mario was Mr. Video Games, uh, and there's yeah, there's there's no Mr. Video Games anymore. Yeah. But uh, let's see. Except Mario, because Mario was still iconic enough to be put into the Olympics. Yeah, he just so. shows up everywhere. Yeah, uh, and I'm still convinced that Japan should have just turned the Olympics into Mario and Sonic at the Olympics last mm. year. Yeah, you know, especially given that there's like another like, hey guys, we really need to be careful because coronavirus is sweeping through again. Yeah, I mean, let's do that I right before the Olympics and see what happens. He has them over a financial barrel, but really, it would have been just awesome to see the world's biggest online gaming tournament. That would have been way less unhealthy than what we're going to get. Yes. I mean, can't, can't you just see it? Just like have I mean, have national teams for Mario and Sonic at the Olympics. I'm into it. Yeah. Representing, representing the... Representing the... Uh, the United States. Here's Ode. Yep. I'm just imagining that, and I really want it now. Um, What's wrong, Rakota? But yeah, uh, Something's from the sky. another one of these. Which developer do you think is most like George Lucas? Has a lot of interesting ideas, requires a strong editor to bring it in. I am a HO, it's Tomonobu Itagaki. They let him loose with Ninja Gaiden 2, and the result shows. NG2 is everything NG1 pushed to the extreme, therefore, lose a sense of a refined product, not to mention running. Not very well on the 360 and PS3, and there's Devil Third, which is a mess. The thing is, uh, and this is one of the reasons that it's very hard to draw this comparison, those happen because those games aren't dumb. Like, not in the normal sense of, like, oh, this game's really buggy, but in the sense of this game was obviously not done, like, was meant to have at least a few more months of development, but they ran out of money. Uh, I don't know how much people remember this at the time, but. Itagaki was actually fired from Tecmo before... I, I can't remember if he was officially fired or left, but before Ninja Gaiden 2 went gold, which truncated its development and is part of why it runs like shit. Um, but, like, usually uh, that ends up... Because, like, that's the thing that separates most uh, game developers from, like, the like new Hollywood directors that would be the most obvious comparison with George Lucas of someone who has way too much money and no is beholden to no one. The auteur model. Yeah. Like the the uh, the auteur theory comes from like the like new Hollywood era. Like that is the the representation of the auteur uh oh, I mean it comes from the French Nouvelle Vague movement in the sixties. Oh yeah. But yeah, That's like the, the yeah, it's it's essentially the same movement across the world. Yeah, just uh, way too much control from the director side, and not enough from yeah. the people who are supposed to say, "Hey, this may not be a good idea." Yeah, and that's why, like, you go look up the new Hollywood era. It's just full of like, "Hey, I just made a really successful movie. What am I? What are you? 
I'm going. I now have way too much money, and now I'm going to make a movie that could only ever appeal to me. <laughs> on, the, on the other hand, this is also the thing that got us blazing saddles. Yeah, I mean, like certainly there were people that weather that. There are people that weather that better, and there are people that weather that worse. Because like, you look at you know, because like certainly I, I would argue Itagaki is a case of ran out of money and didn't know how to deal with not having money. Uh, respectively for Ninja Gaiden 2 and Devil's Third, but I mean, also Devil's Third, like, lost its publisher halfway through to bankruptcy, so uh, that that game was never going to come out healthy. Um, but to, to look at it, uh, like, the, the, the more, like, New Hollywood uh, or, like, George Lucasian uh, thing from uh, Itagaki would have been a game that never came out, and I don't think we ever saw a single thing about other than uh, developer interviews, because no one remembers this thing was theoretically announced at some stage. Uh, Dead or Alive Code Chronos. Uh, what was that? Which, Code Chronos exactly. was like a game that Itagaki would bring up in interviews like over and over, because like his dream project. Uh, it was like a prequel to Ninja Gaiden and not a fighting game. Hmm. Uh, it was like he kept hinting about what he wanted it to be. Uh, and like, there, there's a reason it never came out because, like, once he left Team Ninja, no one else wanted to make it. It was like the thing that he wanted to make and no one else. Uh, I seem to recall hearing rumors that it was going to be more like uh, some sort of action RPG of some description, maybe with roguelike elements of all things. But it was like it was one of those things that like no no publisher in 2007 was going to right. greenlight this. <laughs> but yeah, like if that had been allowed to come out, that would have been a Star Wars Episode One, down to the fact that it was supposed to be a prequel. Um, <laughs> But, like, that's generally what keeps was. this from happening. <laughs> that's generally what keeps this from happening, is that the people with really wild ideas don't have the money to make them. So the closest to comparison you get is, I would honestly say, I think we mentioned him in the discussion, but George Broussard of, uh, form I'm not sure if he's currently a 3D realm, formerly certainly a 3D realm, who was a guy who had the kind of money after the success of Duke Nukem 3D that he could just keep telling publishers to fuck themselves. <laughs> and, like, that's not me, that, that is not me being cute, that is one of the literal things that he said uh, about Take-Two, who is officially set to publish uh, Duke Nukem Forever, is that they don't know what the fuck they're talking about, and they can fuck off. Uh, like, it was that kind of money, or uh, Daikatana from John Romero. John Romero definitely had this oh, period as well. Because it was like... Yeah. I was going to say, that the game that did not even realize how it was supposed to pronounce its own name. Yep. Uh, like, it was one of those things where, like, that, that game was made uh, by people with way too much money and with no oversight. And... It was over-ambitious, and they didn't have enough idea of, like, what a finished product was going to look like. So, ultimately, the finished product was what they could scrape together once the money went out, ran out. And Lucas didn't really have that happen. It was just like, 
without editors, this is just what he does. But it's one of the it's kind of the same. It's as close to that situation as you're going to get in games. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say games it, just cost too much to begin with to make. To allow they that cost kind of too a- much, and there's there's just too much that you can't oversee. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the director of a game, uh, like is more the person who's like the ideas have to filter through. Yeah. Like they're ultimately the person who says yes or no, but they can't make like they can't make as many like controlling decisions as the director on a film. Like the director on a film can like decide that certain parts of the script aren't happening. Uh, will often have some degree of say on the edit. Certainly not final say. Usually that's why we have director's cuts. But usually will have some degree of say on what makes it into the final cut of the film. Like. And Mel, going back to Blaze and Settles, that's exactly what Mel Brooks had with that movie. Yeah. Which is how he was able to just smile and take the notes that all the producers were giving him on all the things they needed to take out of the movie and then just throw it in the trash afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, um, I sometimes see message board threads about, oh, movies that couldn't be made nowadays, and everyone keeps saying, oh, Blazing Saddles because PC culture, and I'm like, it's a miracle Blazing Saddles got made in the 70s, even. <laughs> yeah, like the confluence of circumstances required to make a new a new Blazing Saddles would have to be a situation of someone has way too has what in any other circumstance would be way too much power, and yet enough good sense to make proper use of it. Yeah, which is very rare, uh, because yeah. as it turns out, most people aren't good at that. <laughs> yep. I mean, my, my top two choices for that discussion were Blazing Saddles for that reason and Blues Brothers, the original, for the same reason. Oh, man, Blues Brothers is so good. I mean, of course, with that one, it's simply because you would never be able to rent out an entire empty mall, do mock-ups of all the stores, and then literally drive a car through it. That's such a fun movie. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's so many things in that movie that you could never reproduce just because Chicago and the state of Illinois in general um, reworked all of their laws concerning traffic and public safety and a few other things to make sure that that movie could never be made again. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just way too... Uh, yeah. it, it would be mind-bogglingly more expensive now. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so... I mean, it's on this subject of autourism in Japanese RPGs, then who would you say are the auteurs? I mean, there's obviously Hori, there's Kawazu, there's Toriyama, who else? Uh, which Toriyama are we talking here? <laughs> um, the one who gets way too much say in certain Final Fantasy games. Oh, Motomu Toriyama. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would, I would say, uh, I would add to that list a lot of these are Square Enix, because Square Enix, uh, definitely they, seems to have a culture that lets these happen. But yeah, I would add to that list. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would, I would add to that list, uh... Why am I spacing on his name? He does all the games that I hate. Um, <laughs> um, uh, Nomura? No, I love Nomura's games, although I wouldn't include him on this list. He wasn't the one I was going to bring up next. I was going to save Nomura for last, but... Uh, 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 the Guard man, whose name I'm spacing. Yoko Taro? Yokotaro. Yokotaro is definitely an author as well. 
Oh, that you. Oh yeah, he's definitely. Actually, I think he's the closest we could possibly get to the original question. Yes. And remain in, Jap in Japan land. Can yeah, I just, can although... I just say that can someone make sure that his concept for a Monster Hunter story never happens? Thank you. That's all I like, ask. Uh, like, the, the problem is that like his concept for most like anytime someone asks him what he'd do with another series, it's always the same concept. <laughs> yes, let's make this a yeah, hundred yeah. million times more horrifying and dark. Like, let's make this depressing in the same way that it's always depressing. Yeah. But yeah, like yeah, like I mean that's that's ultimately why like Taro's games don't typically speak to me. They end up feeling cloying, but that's more a me thing than anything else. Uh, but yeah, um, the that that would be uh, the the short list of like uh, Japanese RPG developers that I would put on like the odd four list. And uh, surprise, surprise, they're mostly. Uh, they're mostly at Square Enix. Uh, I mean, there's a few. There's Suda Fifty One. Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. If we expand out of RPG, Suda Fifty One, Hideo Kojima. Uh, I'm gonna say, hasn't Suda Fifty One actually done RPGs before? Uh, um, I've done a lot of things contact? that have RPG in them. He was not on RPG? Contact. That okay. is a Grasshopper manufactured game, but he was not on that. That's one of the issues with like. Uh, people, people, uh, I mean, tend to... I mean, he, he did give an interview at Gamma Sutra about Contact in 2006. Yeah, he was involved, but, like, he was not director on that. That was not primary, his primary duty. He was just, uh... Like, he was involved, but it was not his game, so to speak. He, he would be the one to tell you that he was not, like, primary on Contact. Uh... But, yeah, like, the, that's the thing, is that, like... Part of the thing that I think Mark Suda is enough for is that I could pretty much tell you which Grasshopper manufacturer games he was heavily involved with based on their content, even without knowing. Uh, or like, because like a lot of Grasshopper's games will get will get marketed on his name, regardless of what his actual role is, and because you know he's the he's the name bot. Uh, but he's no tour. Yeah. yeah. It's a sign that he's an auteur, but it's also one of those situations where uh, part of the reason that I think that he stands the test of being an auteur is that just based on the content of the games themselves, I can basically tell you which ones he has heavy influence on and which ones mostly uh, he had oversight on rather than actually leading development on. Which... Uh, you know, that tends to be an important distinction here. But, yeah. Uh, Wheels, are you going to die? Oh, yes. Quite thoroughly. Oh, good. Just shreds, you say. Two shreds, you say. But, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, Kojima, I would also Mojo. call him Kojima, I would also call an auteur. He's very uh, particular and has the similar distinction of being... Uh, like taken off a project because his project idea was too ambitious and cost too much money. Uh, that that shows up a lot with these kinds. Of <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, but yeah, it's it's hard for anyone to hit uh, Lucasian status properly. Um, trying to think of someone who like made. 
like one really good series of games and then just completely fell off the wagon. Um, but again, I end up I end up pulling mostly from the uh, mid late '90s Western PC devs who ended up making a lot of money in the shareware boom because that's uh, where my other knowledge comes from. But yeah, um, and then one more from last week. Continuing the Halo conversation, Master Chief really doesn't seem like the mascot material. Marcus Phoenix makes more sense than mascot because from his aesthetic and his actions, there's something identifiable. Master Chief is just Master Chief, a blank slate. Uh, Jameson Locke would be a better point. mascot from Halo. Thank you. That's the thing but, is, I mean, they don't need Ma Master Chief to be the mascot. He's the icon. Yeah, like, the thing about it is, like, he is kind of the mascot in the sense that when people think of the Xbox, they think of Halo. And they do think of Gears of War as well, but, like, in a more abstract sense. Uh, yeah. Whereas... I mean, it's it, it less mascotish and more iconic. It's like, yeah. It is the thing you think of, not because it's... Rep really representing the game, but really, it's just the game. Yeah. So. To, to delineate it a little further and to kind of clarify, uh, the, the, I, I would also uh, push back against the idea that a mascot needs to be uh, inherently sort of more than a blank slate, because like, you look at some, Mario is a blank slate. Like, that's just, just the case. Like, Mario fits wherever he needs to. Disney fought hard to make Mickey a blank, blank slate because they wanted him to be as malleable as possible so that he could show up anywhere. Uh, Master Chief, ironically, couldn't show up anywhere. It's very strange if you see... Like, certainly... Uh, but, like, part of it is just that... When the game is that popular, it becomes the mascot, regardless of its suitability. Mm. Like, Mario was not engineered to be a mascot, and honestly doesn't make a lot of sense as one. But the game was that popular, so it doesn't matter, he's the mascot. Like, the popularity of the game will transfer into the character. And then eventually the character will be able to confer that popularity onto games. But, yeah, it's, it's just a little more complicated. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I think 343 wanted. They could build a new setting, slap the Spartans into it, and call it Halo. The characters in Halo, Halo do not matter. Heck, the armors have more symbolic value for games than the characters. I mean, certainly, like, if you you put a green Spartan on the cover, and people will assume it's Master Chief, but it won't matter. They'll know it's the Halo guy. Uh, and I said... As uh, people said, but Fall of Reach, no no one cares about that. Uh, I'm just going to put that out there. Uh, maybe Wheels cares about that, but Not no one cares about that. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, I care about like some of the surrounding characters to Master Chief, and specifically the other team in Halo 5, which is much better than Master Chief. Um, oh. But, I mean... I mean, you think, like, Zelda, you know, you can have, like, kind of this 
character that doesn't necessarily have a personality that's still kind of an icon and the main character of your game series. Man, Zelda's actually having the opposite issue where people want to see uh, games that don't star Link, but the problem is that if Link doesn't star in a game, he has no story value. True. Uh, but they don't want to get rid of him because he is an icon. You can't get rid of him. So they're in this rock and a hard place of like, uh, well, people want to play as like Zelda or anyone else, but they can't because if they do, then Link has no place and then they've gotten rid of something that is, like it or not, such a huge part of the identity and it suddenly becomes very complicated. But, uh, let's see. I do think Bungie back then and 343 nowadays protecting Cobble Halo too much. They really want to do an expanded universe. Look at other successful expanded universes that requires a lot of creators. I mean, this is probably more of a Microsoft thing. Uh, because Microsoft needs Halo to continue to be identifiable. Uh, like, people working on Halo likely want to explore other parts of Halo, which is why you keep seeing these, like, uh, bits of expanded lore, like, float out uh, as these games come out. But Microsoft needs Halo to be a forever product that looks and is a consistent experience. So they want, like... They want Mac you know, Halo. They want, yeah, they want a Halo that's, like, the that is identifiable and no one's going to get confused about what they're getting when they buy a Halo game. And like you're, uh, so you get the tension of the creative team that wants to do, that probably wants to try other things, but the publishing arm is like, maybe you don't. Uh, and I'm sure that I'm sure that all sorts of Halo spin-offs have been pitched within Microsoft to try to mm -hmm. ameliorate this, and it just it just never seems to make sense, or it's never like enough of an appetite of theirs because they're you know. It's, it's the franchise, it's the icon, it's too valuable to experiment with. Just dangerous, but, I mean, I can understand why they're like this. Maybe the dream of an expanded Halo universe died with Halo Wars 2. When did that ha happen? Uh, it was actually pretty recently. I always forget that game. Like yeah. This. Yeah, I think the fact that that didn't sell well is honestly the bigger problem. Uh, because Wars feels like the biggest... Uh, yeah, that was 2017. I don't think that... I don't know that that sold horribly. I don't think it sold amazingly either is the problem. I just don't think there's an appetite for, like, RTS games at the moment. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, the RTS is, like, Unless a very... Robots. Man, remember that, uh, like, I can't remember if this review was trolling them out, but there was, like, a. There was a review of, I think, the last, uh, StarCraft II part that was. that labeled as genre as, like, MOBA with base building. <laughs> oh, that hurts my soul. I know it does. That's why I said I'm not sure if it was trolling or not. Uh. Not seeing much about how this actually sold. Uh, which generally isn't a good sign. Uh, typically, games that sell well, especially in big franchises, give big press releases about how well they sold. 
And when they don't, it, it's a sign of mild concern. Oh. oh that sounds bad. 149,000 units first week at retail. That is not good. Hmm. Like, if that if that number is accurate, like for Grey yes. Halo spinoff, that's not good. Oof. Mega oof. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's that's honestly the bigger problem. It's just the, like, honestly, making it an RTS, ma making an RTS would probably uh, not the... It, it was not the play. I can understand why they did it, in part because that was what Halo was initially conceived as. Uh, it fits the setting reasonably well, and they had a lot of uh, RTS development talent at hand. Uh, but, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, it didn't didn't exactly go great. Um, well, come again. Come check it out. But yeah, so I, I don't, I don't, I think that the bigger problem is more just that there's, like, a any attempt to, like, expand the Halo universe, for that to make sense, would have to be a spinoff, and the last spinoff was in a genre that was certainly at the time going through a historical bout of unpopularity, uh, and that probably was kind of made any sort of further Halo spin-off the dead letter for the time being. <laughs> okay. That's about all I could contribute for Halo anyway. So. Okay. No worries. I mean, I'll, I mean, yeah, again, all I could say is like, if you if you put a picture of Master Chief up, you know what they're talking about, and that's it. So yeah, it's and that's why they that's why they're very protective of it. Yep. I help you today? So yes, iconic. That's the word there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, hey, that's thunder. Wonderful. Yeah, we should maybe not go on too much longer if that's going to be happening. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. This is fine. He also just PC spontaneously combust. It's fine. Listen, listen, okay? We've had no problems this stream. You know, I am had my backup keyboard at the ready. You know, because my keyboard died. Uh, but we're good. We're good. It's all good. I'm going to... I'm gonna bring up a couple more from the big list. Yep. Uh, is MiHoYo and Psygames success enough to prove that a mobile game studio could really break into the proper PC and console market? I am suspicious of Psygames just for the huge amount of capital backing it, and that's how it got established industry people involved in its games. Uh, I don't even like, know who he's get back about. to me after uh, Grand Blue Fantasy Relink actually comes out. Oh, yeah. Uh, Psygames is the Grand Blue Fantasy people. Oh right. I don't uh... know. They have that Shadowverse game coming out soon. 
thought that was already out. You know, it's uh, August. August. Huh. It's like, um... Oh, um, yeah, it's the Genshin card. Impact people. It's uh, the, like the Pokemon um, trading card game on Game Boy, only with Shadowverse <laughs> and more modern. Oh, they're selling... Okay, you're saying that they're selling it. Game that's like the okay, okay, yeah, okay, that makes more sense to me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, certainly there's there's room for it. I mean, people like things that at least pretend to be free. Uh, <laughs> I think that in general, there's slightly less appetite. And say what? Oh, I'm gonna say if they if it feels free at first, it's easier to sell them stuff later. Yeah, that's that's basically the entire free to play model. Um, I feel like there there's slightly less appetite for this on consoles than there is on like mobile and certain and you know PC being somewhat of a middle ground because like the you know mobile games end up free to play because that's how you persuade people that just have a phone and didn't buy it to play games to play a game mm -hmm. like that's part of why that ecosystem turned into what it is. Uh, PC games being free-to-play makes sense for kind of the same reason in that, you know, but, like, you have two different audiences on PC, because you have the people that are, like, uh, that, you know, they bought a PC because they have to use it for work or school or whatever, and therefore are willing to play a game as long as it doesn't cost them much. Or you have the people who spent $8 million on their PC and uh, pool it with a vat of liquid nitrogen. Uh, like, you get like the, those two extreme ends of people. Consoles, I feel like there's probably the least overt appetite for this, just because anyone who bought a console is, to some degree, committed to the idea of spending money on video games. Uh... Like they they did it they they know as much as as much as Sony and Microsoft have at various points attempted to sell PlayStations and Xboxes as like media centers and such they've never really succeeded on that front. It's always been a sideshow to these play games and can do other things as opposed to uh, PCs and phones which uh, do other things and can play games. Uh, so uh, I feel like there's there's room for it, certainly. Like, I, I think that there's room to expand on it. I do think that the really uh, abusive monetary practices that you sometimes see in mobile games have less purchase on consoles. And that's probably part of why you don't see a lot of attempts at bringing them over. Like, you get... Uh, I think Grand Blue is available just on PC, uh, but Grand Blue is partly popular. I think, be like, from the mobile game fans that I know who play these like Got to Hell games, Grand Blue is considered to be one of the most generous. Like, it gives you a lot of free roulette spins. Uh, there's just generally higher guarantees of where holds uh, from it. That wouldn't be surprise uh, me, considering how generous Shadowverse is. Yeah, I think that's just how Psy Games operates, which yeah. honestly probably earns them a lot of customer loyalty that a lot of other mobile developers don't have. Yeah. Uh, and Mioho, uh, 
managed to do it by, like, they took that mobile game uh, concept, but they married it to a more traditionally console game style experience. Uh, which I, I think shows how you sort of have to... These are the ways that you adapt these to make them work uh, in the more traditional uh, game sales space. Mm-hmm. And of course, you see people coming in essentially taking the opposite tack of trying to sell games traditionally to the mobile game audience. And Square, I don't know what you're doing still doing this in 2021. I don't know who you think is buying fucking <laughs> Final Fantasy. $75 worth of Final Fantasy Pixel remasters on an iOS phone that's going to make them incompatible in three years. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Things will make a lot more sense when they find their way to consoles. Yes. Uh, but yeah. Um, and one more. How is it that doing mundane things in video games sometimes bring immense pleasure to the players? There is no responsibility attached. I'm going to repeat to you a piece of wisdom that Mark Twain offers in Tom Sawyer after the famous whitewashing scene. Uh, see if I can pull up the exact quote so that I don't mangle it. Uh, in uh, in that scene, for those who did not actually read Mark Twain, uh, who did not actually read Tom Sawyer and have only had it essentially described to them, uh, the scene of the whitewashing offense consists of Tom Sawyer uh, is told to whitewash his aunt's fence. She, uh, he proceeds to go about it very enthusiastically, performatively, mm-hmm. such that the other children uh, not only uh, will do it for him, they will pay him for the opportunity to do it because he looks like he's having such a good time doing it. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and he got such a collection of items for it, too. Yeah, whatever those kids have now in their pockets, basically. Yeah. Uh, but uh, upon concluding this little uh, episode... Uh, Twain, as narrator, says that if Tom were a more philosophical man, he might have learned from this that work consists of whatever a body is obliged to do, and play consists of whatever a body is not obliged to do. (laughs) Basically, the difference between uh, something you do for fun and something that you do for work is that one of them you don't have a say, it has to get done. And that's part of what makes things like Harvest Moon or Sturdy Valley, that, that sort of uh, scheduled, yeah, Animal Crossing, those sorts of chore games. There is, like, people enjoy doing things. And in most contexts, those things are work because they don't have a lot of say. Like, if it doesn't get done, it becomes a problem. But when you make it a game, suddenly, if it doesn't get done, oh well, it doesn't get done. It's all up to me. I can do it, like, that immediately turns it from work into play. 
And so, yeah, I, th I think uh, basically, Fire Miner, I think you answered your own question. It's because there is no responsibility attached. Uh, they only have to they only have to pursue it to the limits of their own sense. That is also why a game can feel like work if you decide that you need to do something in it. Like, or, or if you have to force yourself to finish it for to write a review. Yeah, because it's one of those situations where it's like you have pursued it beyond the limits of your satisfaction. Mm -hmm. uh, this is also why I fully advocate a second that a game ceases to be interesting to you, that it's often healthier to just stop playing it. <laughs> you will have a healthier relationship with the game and a happier life. Uh, yeah, uh, that's that's the literary reference you get for tonight. Uh, <laughs> Yay. But it's not the literary plug we'll get for tonight. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's that's for later. Well, let's see. Are you guys doing anything else for JRPG July? I, I don't oh, know yes. what you're playing right now. Uh, mm -hmm. So I am going to be talking about Disgaea Six like I do on the show too, but maybe go into a little more in-depth as to why I like this guy again thanks to this game. That'll be good. Uh, also, uh, Neptunia Reverse. And Every Sunday. Probably a little Monster Hunter stories as well. Uh, but I think for the first week I'll just be talking about this guy and uh, Neptunia mostly. I won't be doing yeah. JRPG July because I'm an extremely unreliable person. But if you keep listening to the podcast throughout July, you'll probably hear me talking about probably at least three different Mega Man Battle Network games. So, because <laughs> I'm almost done with the first one. Cool. I wish they do a collection of those. That would be nice. They've hinted that they intend to. Yeah. I've played through the first. I played through five of them. I never played the sixth one. I heard the sixth one's actually like a decent conclusion. I oh, know, I mean, I was moving cities at the time, and I just never got uh -huh. around to it. Yeah, I've been enjoying the first one. It's pretty good. Yeah. It was a great series. Yeah. It actually, it had legs, which was kind of surprising. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like I mentioned, I'm doing Grandia 2. There's a couple other games I might be getting into later, depending on yes. when I finish that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, games that I already own. Yeah. So, that tends to be your way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I mean, I just, I mean, I just, I'm playing a game I bought over Father's Day last month, two weeks ago. Um, so that might be the fastest turnaround yet. <laughs> yeah, really, uh, for something that was not a an absolute new release. Um, but yeah. I'm also, I'm, I'm also posting random game music on Twitter. Heck yeah. So um, currently, I'm in the first set, which is like ten days in a row of opening themes. Nice. Yep. So. Um, Let's see, I've done, uh, so far, I've done the uh, Saga 2 uh, DS opening. Nice. And Dark Dawn from Xenogears. Ooh. And then then the uh, piano opening to Nightmare Project Yakata, just because I really like that and I like to... Oh yeah, I saw you tweeting about that one. Yeah. And see, Time Scar from Chrono Cross. And then the opening, nice. opening screen to Final Fantasy Mystic Quest. Ooh, love that. Nice. Yeah, it was, 
as the tweet itself says, it was like, say what you will about the game, and I do occasionally at length, it's, it had very good sound direction. Uh, that soundtrack is, it's, that soundtrack doesn't mess. Yet. Oh, I still remember the Fire City. The, the Las oh. Vegas oh, yeah. oh, man, that game's wild. <laughs> I always forget how weird that game gets. Yeah. Uh, I should replay And then that. I had, um, for some reason, this one didn't give a a preview on it, but it was the opening scene to, or opening screen to uh, Taisha Mononoke Iban Roku. Oh, wow. Which is one of Gust's le more obscure PlayStation PlayStation 2 titles. Beautiful song. Yeah. Kind of weird. And it's also, um, as far as JRPGs go, it's probably the closest thing you will ever find to Demon Slayer. <laughs> in terms of general style because they are both set in the Taisho period and they both do a very deep dive on what fashion that time period looked like. The transition from old Japan to new Japan. Yeah. Available so, at a bookstore um, near you right now. Yeah. So just, yeah, I, I had somebody on Reddit asking if there were any JRPGs that looked like visually looked like Demon Slayer and it's like this is the only one I can really think of because it's set in the same time period and it has this very much the same color pattern or color palette so and then last night was Legend of Mana yes oh, heck yeah with the soundtrack um, is... one of the with one of the few independent responses on this tweet being your description is exactly what went through my mind when I went through the intros the first time from, uh, <laughs> Metroid M-Disc playlist. My description was, This song encapsulates the Mana Saga blend of whimsy, mystery, and what the F did I just see to show what all happens <laughs> before the game starts. Context is needed. Because, <laughs> <sighs> I mean, once you know what the game's about, the, the opening makes a lot of sense. It's just, if you're going in blind, you're not quite sure what what's going on at all. Yeah. Oh, that does remind me... Uh, if people want to follow along with these, people can and should follow oh, yeah. you on Twitter. At Michael Yadimisa, yes. Just wanted to let you plug that. Yeah, I probably uh, should. Yes. Wheels is also available at Ask Wheels. And you are theoretically available, but actually not. I, I'm on private. I will probably approve most anything, but yeah. Have Fanboy Master if you want to deal with that. You are welcome to follow me, although you may regret it. Uh, you will see a lot of gifts. I'll put that way. Yes, gifts, random Fortnite stuff, and Apex Legends nonsense, and lots of RPG stuff yeah. too. Yes, but I but a lot of gifts. I kind of go all over uh, the place, and yes, I speak mostly in GIF. I, it's 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 terrible. There's a language barrier. I don't speak GIF. I don't understand half of them. <laughs> like wheels will send me like a. I'll send wheels something and he'll respond with a GIF. And I'll just like be. I'll just eventually. I just have to start giving him straight. What the fuck does that mean, wheels? <laughs> <laughs> and half the time you don't have an answer. Yeah. Well, sometimes I'll do a GIF search and see something that looks weird, <laughs> and I'll just be like, okay, you know, we'll go with that. <laughs> That's gonna kill you one day. Uh. But yeah, uh, it sounds like we're winding down in general, though. So it's time for oh, the most important plug. 
I'm going to say, speaking of Twitter, you'll be seeing lots of stuff about video games, comments on other people's stuff about video games, and then a whole lot of plugs for Princesses of the Pizza Parlor, a nine-episode, two-side-quest series of ebooks on Amazon and Kindle and Kindle Unlimited, with three soon-to-be-four paperbacks um, collections available. Did you actually resolve the Catch-22 around that paperback collection? Oh, yeah, finally. Uh, oh, thank was, God. It's, it's the, the actual novel in this case. Not, yeah. Not one of the oh, the novel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, it got resolved eventually. Okay. I'm so, well. yeah. So I'm just waiting for the, the proof copy to actually come in. Good. But yeah, I mean, I've been using Twitter as my main marketing tool for a while just because it has turned out that screaming into the void of Twitter is about as effective as Amazon marketing for me. <laughs> While costing less money by a lot yeah. of So, I mean, I, I wasn't selling much before. I'm not selling much now, but hey, at least I'm not paying for... At least it's not a net loss anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so give those a look. Yeah, so it's it's all about play, actually about playing tabletop RPGs. Yeah, um, yeah. I I tend to market it with lit RPG just because that's really the only thing that fits properly. Even if the community behind that genre is often argumentative over what it actually defines it. That's oh, just like nice. actual RPGs. Yeah. So um. So. Oh yes. Um. I mean, it feels like home. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's like, yeah, I'm, I'll be the first to admit that this probably is not a 100% match to the genre, but at the same time, what would be? Um, yeah. But yeah, and we're we're talking about a genre where if science fiction was a cafe latte, then this RPG would be some monstrous creation that you always order from Starbucks that requires 15 different steps. Um, yeah. Precisely to your preferences. Sorry. Um, but, but that's how a lot of people treat this genre. It's kind of fun to read sometimes. Um. But yeah, so if you enjoy reading about people playing games and then imagining the results and don't don't feel disappointed that nobody gets sucked into an alternate dimension where they have to play as their character. We don't have to go full Isekai. It's not necessary. It is not necessary that it that was a deliberate decision made at the very start. Um, I, I pitched the idea to a couple friends and family members, and at least three of them replied, Oh, so when do they cross over? I'm like, they're not crossing over. No, <laughs> no, like, no please. That, that, that defeats the purpose of things being important to you, to people, because they are important, not because suddenly, for some really, really random, bizarre reason, the fate of the world is in the balance. Yeah, they are they are internally externally motivated. Yep. And that's something a lot of young adult fantasy tends to forget about. It's like it does not have to be the literal end of the world. Yeah. So. It's often more interesting if it's not the end of the world. Because then you have other places you can go other than the world is or is not destroyed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's it's all fun and games till someone rolls a one. Yeah, and then their their character that they put their heart and soul into dies, and then.
To be fair, I have had very few actual character deaths so far in this game. I mean, any responsible DM for uh, children and teenagers is probably going to be careful about uh, actually killing someone. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, part of the fun here is that whenever I'm writing these episodes, I actually have my dice out and I'm actually rolling occasionally just to see what happens. Nice. Um, That's called so, improv. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, literally, anytime you see dice... Um, you actually see dice roll in narrative and it shows a number or implies a number. I did roll something. That's always oh. fun. Yeah, and I so I was like, it's like, from the very beginning, I kind of regretted giving this one character a rod of wonder. <laughs> <laughs> Just like a real DM. Uh... Yeah. So, um, but it has, it's been a lot of fun because I've been ro rolling amazingly well with that thing to manage to fit it into the story to where it looks like it actually makes sense. So, I mean, at one point I had a, a plan on what to do if it actually rolled up like number seventy, summon woolly rhinoceros, uh, which well, never yet to happen. I'm kind of disappointed. I'm not sure what I would do with it now. Uh, Think of what we could have had. Yeah, really. No, I mean, in the afterword of the first of the first paperback collection, it actually talks about that. It's like, yeah, I was like, I was just waiting for it to. I was kind of praying for it to roll up summon Willy Rhinoceros in the second episode and have it eat the villain. It just no, never happened. Happen. It never happened. We, can, like, we they, get they, that brief here into an alternate universe. Yeah, the, the girls were going to adopt him. He was going to be the ranger's animal sidekick. They were going to name him Larry. But no, this never happened. Well, what might have been. Uh, well, it's always fun to hear you pull a, pull a bit behind the curtain. So thanks. But yeah, so yeah. It's, um, it's it's half tween drama and half fi high fantasy drama. Yeah. I think it's fun. Certainly uh, scratch the itch if you're one of those people that, for example, listens to D&D &D play podcasts. <laughs> seriously, seriously. I mean, the, the number of webcomics I've seen that play with this concept for, like, one story arc. And more and more. Hell no. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you know, you can just, you can really do a story out of this, but no, I mean, any, any, like, any webcomic that actually does deal with, like, the game like that, most of the time they actually go full isekai at some point. Yeah. Or they just get Absolutely. really weird, or they just have the real world being really, really weird. So, yeah. But that uh, contrast is part of what makes it fun. Much less fun yeah. when they start doing that that and eventually I will get every single character class from Pathfinder and possibly D&D um, 5th edition represented in the story. Nice. You gotta, get, you gotta get the one person who accidentally like creates the like just because they wanted like certain things they accidentally create a character that's completely essentially unplayable as <laughs> with the rules as written. Yeah, it's come close. I, I had I have one character who um retroactively got made into a shifter class in Pathfinder because shifter class did not exist when I made this character up. Uh... So, things like that. But yeah. But yeah. I've got a list somewhere. Let's see. Is it, is it? Oh, there we go. Character classes used so... 
Far, Ranger, Barbarian, Druid, Witch, Cleric, Psychic, Wizard, Sorceress, Alchemist, Paladin, Cavalier, Rogue, Scion, Bard, Shifter, Magus, Mesmerist, Sharpshooter, Brawler, Swap, Buckler, Oh, I think we lost him. Maybe. Uh, did I lose everyone? Call <laughs> them yet to appear yeah, in the actual publication. There we go. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's uh, I think that's our show for. Yeah, you guys are cutting in and out a bit right now. Really? By saying, hey, you should join the RP game with it. Uh, yes, you, the person listening right now. Mm -hmm. Hello. The podcast section. That's. For questions from. Uh, also, you can ask questions right under this very podcast on the RPG comments section. Both of those, we love hearing from you. Uh, thanks again to Fireman for all the questions for this week. Uh, see if you can see if you can defeat Fireminer in combat. By which I mean, in terms of how many questions you can ask. I don't think you can, but I mean, if you can, I'm a little scared. Uh, I'd be happy to see people give it a try. I would be happy to see you give it a try, even if I don't believe you can. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But yeah, and once again, thank you to Firemire for writing these questions. It really helps a lot. Uh, otherwise, see ya, Space Cowboys. See ya. What strategy you say? Uh -huh.